Okay, so today we'll uh, start with chapter 19. And as the Lord leads, we should be able to get through chapter 19. And here uh, we see that uh, it touches upon three things. And Moses uh, is continuing to expand on the 10 commandments that were introduced. And he's applying it to different uh, situations. And here we see it is being applied to in the context of murder. Uh, to the cities of refuge, uh, then it speaks about how the land boundaries uh, are to be respected. Uh, then it speaks about the role of witnesses uh, in verses 15 through 20. And he ends with the law of retribution that we see uh, in verse uh, 21. And as we go through this chapter, we see that uh, there are four commandments uh, that are covered or that are applied uh, in this context. So we'll start with the uh, cities of refuge uh, that we read about uh, in verses uh, 1 through 13, uh, where we are told uh, what, what those cities are and why they were established mm -hmm. and how it works. So maybe we'll start by reading verses 1 through 7. Yeah. Okay, so here uh, we are introduced to the cities of refuge. Uh, and we will see that there is a distinction that is made uh, in even in case of murder. Uh, murder could happen accidentally or someone could get killed uh, accidentally. And there are cases where murder is done intentionally. So Moses makes a distinction between uh, these two cases and how the cities of refuge uh, apply in these two cases. And also this is covered uh, in detail in Numbers uh, 35. And we know that uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we are given more of a condensed uh, summary uh, of many uh, events and many things. Uh, but when we go back to either Exodus or Numbers, we can see a little bit more detail. So we'll pick up on some verses uh, from Numbers 35 also. So here we read about the uh, cities of refuge. Uh, and the main purpose, as we read from verse 5, uh, is to provide uh, protection to uh, innocent uh, crime uh, that happens by accident or that happens uh, with, even though it was not uh, intended. And the cities of refuge uh, is a place where someone can run to, uh, run away from the rage of the avenger uh, to the city of refuge. So uh, it is reasonable to assume that when you kill someone, uh, someone from their family would be very upset and they're not going to ask uh, any questions. And if they see the murderer, uh, they would instantly uh, seek uh, revenge. So these cities of refuge uh, will provide uh, some degree of protection to the person who's committing the crime uh, from those who are pursuing him uh, to kill him. So he would be sheltered uh, in that city uh, until that case is reviewed and also resolved. And once the case is resolved, uh, he or she must remain uh, in that city for safety. And if he chooses to leave the city uh, during that time, uh, he can be killed by the revenger of blood, which in most cases would be the next of kin or it would be someone in the family uh, who would be uh, pursuing the killer and if they find him, they would kill him. So we read that in Numbers uh, 35 also, in verse 12, 24, and 25. Uh, in 12, it says, and they shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer die not, 
uh, until he stand uh, before the congregation in judgment. So we see that there is a time period for which uh, he is given the uh, protection. So until he stands uh, before the congregation in judgment, uh, he is able to seek that safety. And then in verse 24, it says, then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood according to these uh, judgments. And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood and the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge where he has fled and he shall abide in it until the death of the high priest which was anointed with the holy oil. And if you go back and read uh, in Numbers, uh, we are also told that he should continue uh, in that city of refuge. But if he chooses uh, to leave that city, or if he chooses to leave uh, the safety of the city of refuge, then in that case, uh, he is on his own. And if the revenger of blood uh, finds him, uh, they are free to kill him uh, in that case. And we see that the location for this, uh, as we read in verse three, it's that it should be in the midst. Uh, so the idea is that uh, it should be uh, easily accessible. Uh, it should be a place where you can easily run to and, and find shelter uh, in these uh, circumstances. And we are told there are six uh, cities of refuge. And again, if you go back to numbers, we see that these six cities are part of the 48 cities uh, that were given to the Levites, uh, as we read in Numbers uh, 35, 6. And among the cities which he shall give unto the Levites, uh, there shall be six uh, cities for refuge. So there are three cities on the east of Jordan and three on the west of Jordan. And in verses uh, 8 and 9, uh, we also see that uh, if Israel uh, continues to possess, uh, more territories, then they can establish uh, three more uh, cities of refuge. But uh, that did not happen because uh, Israel did not expand uh, their territories or they did not possess the entire promised land as was promised to them. So we just had six uh, cities of refuge, uh, three on the east of Jordan, where two and a half tribes had settled uh, before crossing the Jordan River and three were in the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 20, verse seven and eight, uh, we are given the names uh, of the cities of refuge. Uh, it says, and they appointed uh, Kadesh in Galilee, in Mount Naphtali, and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Kirjat Tarba, which is Hebron, in the mountain of Judah. So those are the three. And on the other side of Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. And as you read before, uh, in Deuteronomy, we know that uh, two and a half tribes, uh, they settled uh, before crossing the Jordan River, uh, and the other tribes, they entered the promised land and settled there. And in verse 9, as we said before, uh, there are three additional cities uh, that could be established uh, as cities of refuge uh, if they continue to grow. So in verse 9, it says, If thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them, which I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God and to walk over in his ways, then 
shalt thou add three more cities uh, besides these three, that innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. So these would have been uh, the three extra cities, making it nine, but that did not happen uh, as we see in history. So in Genesis 15 and 18, uh, we are given the boundaries of the promised land. As we read, in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Uh, so since they did not occupy the entire land that was promised uh, in, uh, in Genesis, uh, they were limited to six uh, cities of refuge. But since the promise was made uh, to the nation of Israel, uh, we would see that uh, promise being fulfilled uh, when Christ returns and the full possession of land will take place then. So that was the first case, which is uh, when a murder happens by accident, uh, the person can run uh, to the city of refuge and they are uh, protected there uh, so long as they stay uh, in that city. And the second case that we read about uh, in verses 11 and 12 uh, is when a murder takes place uh, intentionally or when someone commits a crime uh, intentionally and they still run to the city of refuge. Uh, thinking uh, they would be protected. But as we see, uh, City of Refuge does not give uh, protection to those who are guilty. Yeah, Maybe someone can read 11 through 13. Okay, so it's pretty straightforward the way it is explained in these verses. Uh, we see that uh, it is clearly a premeditated murder where the murderer uh, is lying in wait. And when the opportunity is right, uh, they kill the person and and they flee to the city of refuge. But we see that over time, the elders, when they look at the case, uh, they find him guilty and they deliver him to the avenger of blood uh, to be put uh, to death. And by doing that, uh, justice uh, is served uh, according to the law, uh, which clearly says uh, life for life. And the land is also cleansed uh, because when blood is shed, uh, the land is polluted. And by taking uh, the life of that person, uh, the land is also cleansed. So we see that the city of refuge, uh, even though uh, it is titled as a city of refuge, uh, it still makes a distinction between uh, a person who is guilty and a person who is not guilty. So God is uh, still just. Uh, he is giving an opportunity for protecting uh, those who are innocent, but at the same time, uh, punishing the guilty. So in Numbers uh, 35, 33, and 34, it says, So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. So we see that uh, when a murder takes place, uh, the Bible says uh, it defiles the land, and the land cannot be cleansed, uh, unless uh, justice is done by killing the person who committed the murder. So it goes on to say in verse 34, defile not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit wherein I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. 
But when we go to the New Testament, we uh, obviously see a shift. Uh, we see a shift uh, where the focus uh, is always on forgiveness, uh, even uh, when there is a crime, uh, even when there is gr gross uh, injustice. So in Matthew chapter 5, 21 and 22, uh, it says, uh, you have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shall not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. And the judgment was if you kill, uh, you would also get killed. But when Jesus uh, talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he raises the standard by saying, uh, even if you're angry with someone, uh, you're committing a crime, uh, which would be uh, in danger of judgment. So you see that he equates uh, anger uh, with murder, uh, because oftentimes uh, anger uh, is the trigger point that could uh, eventually lead to murder. So when Lord Jesus Christ, when he's looking at this uh, situation, uh, he's saying that if you are angry at someone, then your intent uh, is not correct and you're still uh, guilty and you're in danger of judgment. Whereas in the Old Testament, uh, you could be angry with someone and it is not uh, a punishable offense or you're not considered guilty because you haven't committed the crime. But obviously, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, he's raising the standard by equating anger to murder. And also when Paul is writing in Romans uh, chapter 12, uh, 17 to 19, uh, again, he focuses on forgiveness. Uh, he says, recompense to no man, uh, evil for evil, uh, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Uh, dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So obviously a person who's, uh, who has been killed, uh, they cannot take vengeance, but uh, their family or next to kin, uh, they would be very upset and they would like to take vengeance. But Paul is exhorting us uh, in the spirit of New Testament uh, that even in those uh, situations, uh, even if our loved one is murdered by someone, uh, we should still not seek vengeance, but we should uh, forgive and we should seek peace, and we should leave uh, the justice uh, to God, because he says, uh, vengeance is mine, uh, I will repay, saith the Lord. So we might face uh, many situations where we feel that we are being uh, unjustly treated, or being uh, uh, or in unjust uh, situation, but the Lord simply says that leave it to him. Uh, God is a just God, and he will take vengeance uh, based on uh, his timetable and based on what he knows is the right way of doing justice. So uh, this uh, first part uh, relates to the Ten Commandments, uh, thou shall not kill, obviously, from Exodus uh, 20, 13. So as we are going through these chapters, uh, Moses is simply expanding uh, on the Ten Commandments. Uh, he's not uh, introducing new laws but he's using the 10 laws to expand uh, to different uh, situations. And the same thing is true for when we go to verse 14. Uh, again, Moses is not 
introducing a new law or a new uh, rule. Uh, he's simply trying to apply the Ten Commandments uh, to different uh, situations. So we'll read uh, verse 14. Uh, yeah, someone can read, uh, respecting land boundaries. Okay, so this again, a very uh, simple and a practical law. So if you have a land that belongs to you, uh, you might have set, set up some boundaries uh, in those days. Uh, it could have been done uh, using stones uh, rather than fences uh, that we use today. Uh, and the Lord is saying that we need to respect uh, private uh, property rights. And the land itself uh, is the most uh, important asset that they would have had uh, in those days. And the land would have been used uh, to sustain the family, to sustain, uh, to provide for the family. So it should not be snatched or it should not be moved. And again, that ties back in Deuteronomy 27, 17. Uh, it says, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. And Hosea 5, 10, it says, The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound boundaries. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. So again, it's an application of a law where the Lord is saying uh, he's not happy when we uh, change the boundaries of our neighbor or when we steal land uh, from our neighbors. And in Proverbs uh, 15, 25, uh, it reminds us that the Lord protects uh, the boundaries. It says the Lord will destroy the house of the proud but he will establish uh, the border of the widow. Or in NIV, it says he sets the widow's boundary stones uh, in place. So we see that the Lord is our ultimate uh, protector. And these laws were set in place uh, for us to follow so that we don't violate the boundaries uh, out of covetousness. And as we apply this in our own life, we can say that we can use the wisdom of God's word uh, to set boundaries. Uh, for our church, uh, we can use the wisdom of God's word to set boundaries uh, for our families and also for our personal life. So the Ten Commandments uh, are also in a way, uh, it helps us to set boundaries. And when we violate uh, those boundaries, uh, it would lead to losses uh, in our life. And that is what Moses has been teaching us uh, through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, through the various laws and through various uh, provisions that we need to respect uh, the law that has been uh, declared by the Lord, and we need to obey in order to enjoy God's blessing. But we see that oftentimes uh, in our life, uh, we set boundaries uh, that are not consistent uh, with the word of God. And when we do that, uh, it will always uh, lead to losses uh, in our life, whether it's in our personal life, or in the life of our families, or in the life of the church, uh, when we try to shift the boundaries, or when we try to compromise uh, in different ways that are not consistent with the word of God. So when we connect this uh, to the Ten Commandments, uh, we can see that uh, verse 14 uh, relates to two, two of the Ten Commandments, uh, thou shalt not steal, uh, Exodus uh, twenty fifteen. And Exodus uh, 20, 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. So again, uh, verse 14 uh, is not a new law, but it is simply applying the existing Ten Commandments uh, to a situation.
And the uh, next section that we have uh, is on the role of witnesses uh, that we have seen before also uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, but it is repeated again, 15 through 20. To be a witness uh, is an important uh, responsibility. And even today we see that the role of witnesses can be very uh, critical uh, when they are trying to resolve uh, different cases uh, in the court. And obviously, uh, as a witness, uh, you're supposed to uh, tell the truth uh, based on what you have seen and what you have experienced or what you have heard. But if the witness uh, itself is a false witness, then we see that the entire uh, justice system uh, will tend to crumble and the whole justice system will be seen as a corrupt uh, system. And in today's world, we see that there is a lot of corruption because uh, there are many false witnesses, but we see that uh, even in the wisdom of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, thousands of years back, uh, we it has already set out that as a witness, you need to give the right witness. And if you're a false witness, uh, there should be uh, serious uh, consequences. And that is what is laid out here, uh, that we need to have a minimum uh, of two witnesses. And obviously, if you have one person, then it is hard to uh, hard to check whether they are telling the truth. But if there are two people, then we can kind of cross-check uh, to see whether the uh, story is consistent uh, in terms of what they are saying. And we see that the false witness, uh, they are subject to the same uh, punishment. That is, they are put to death uh, uh, after reviewing the case. So obviously being a false witness uh, is can be very dangerous. So that is why the punishment is also severe. Uh, if you're coming forward with a false witness, then you could be subject uh, to death if you are found guilty. Since uh, that is the standard that is set, uh, we would expect that people will think twice uh, before coming forward uh, with a false witness because they know that if they are caught, uh, they would uh, pay the ultimate price, which is uh, death. But there could be many uh, situations when uh, there are no witnesses uh, to the crime. And obviously, if someone uh, commits murder uh, uh, privately, then there are no witnesses. Then in that case, uh, in order to solve the case, uh, we, we look for either uh, a personal confession or it could be based on uh, circumstantial evidence, uh, which we often do uh, even today. So in 2 Samuel chapter 116, uh, there is a case of a personal uh, confession where David writes, uh, David said unto him, thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. So the context for this is when he brings the news uh, that Saul uh, died, uh, Saul, kill, Saul got killed, and David is angry, and he says, based on what you have mentioned, uh, you will also face the same uh, judgment, or you'll also be subject to death. And again, we are reminded in Exodus and also in Proverbs, Exodus 23.1 says, Thou shalt not raise a false report, put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. And as Christians and as believers, uh, we should uh, never lie. Our spoken word should always uh, be the truth. And if you are taking the witness stand, 
then we should be uh, sure that we are not saying telling any lies or we are not uh, telling half lies or we are not uh, we are not staying silent when we should uh, speak up so even staying silent could be uh, taken as a crime when a crime has happened and you have witnessed a crime and if you choose to be silent then that would also be a crime and you would be a false witness so proverbs 14:5 tells us a faithful witness will not lie but a false witness will utter lies and again this goes back to the 10 commandments uh, exodus uh, 20 and verse 16 where it says uh, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor and the last uh, verse that we have in this short chapter is from exodus uh, 21 uh, verse 21 it says thine eye shall not pity but life uh, shall go for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand and foot for foot so that is the law of retribution that we see in the old testament if you take someone's life then the way to compensate for that uh, is by taking the life of the other person so this may seem uh, controversial but Uh, that is the law that was set in place uh, in the old testament and we also read that in leviticus uh, 24 and verse 19 uh, if a man cause a blemish in his neighbor as he hath done so shall it be done to him a breach for breach eye for eye tooth for tooth as he hath caused a blemish in a man so shall it be done to him again and he that killeth the beast he shall restore it and he that killeth a man uh, he shall be put to death and again if you go back to genesis uh, chapter 9 and verse 6 uh, whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed so we see that these laws of retribution uh, they set the they set the limits uh, of punishment and in this case uh, it is set more as an equalizer if you take someone's life then you pay for it by uh getting killed but the law should be exercised uh, within the system of judges and priests so even though these laws are in place uh, the expectation is that uh, it would still happen uh, within the context uh, of a judicial system and people will not take the law into their hands and go about killing people or go about Uh, exercising the law of retribution so there has to be some kind of hearing uh, there has to be some kind of uh, communal uh, justice system where people bring forward their case and based on the facts uh, the case is reviewed and resolved when we get to the new testament we see that uh, retribution uh, is uh, replaced uh, by submission and forgiveness So in the New Testament uh, we are not told that we should retaliate for every crime that is committed against us or even as we saw if there is injustice we should simply uh, commit it to the Lord and ask him to take vengeance ask him to bring about justice so we should not take uh, retaliation uh, into our hands uh, as we read in Matthew 5:38 and 39 you have heard that it hath been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i say unto you that ye resist not evil but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek 
uh, turn to him the other all. In Isaiah 53, 7, which prophesies about Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we see that when he was put uh, in a similar situation, uh, he did not uh, retaliate, uh, he did not uh, protest, uh, and it says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep uh, before our shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So Lord Jesus Christ uh, is our role model, and when we get to the New Testament, we see that the standards are much higher. And that is the standard that we should follow uh, in all situations. So it's a short chapter, chapter 19, uh, where we talked about uh, the cities of refuge, uh, why they were established. And essentially, they were established so that a person who has committed a crime can run to that city uh, for safety, uh, at least in the short term. And if they are really guilty of crime, then obviously they are punished by death. But if they are, if they committed the crime accidentally, then the city of refuge uh, will give them uh, protection. And we saw in verse 14 that the land uh, boundaries uh, should be respected. So we should not covet uh, something that belongs to our neighbor, uh, whether it is property or person or anything else. Uh, we should respect the boundaries. We should respect what belongs to someone else and not try to covered in our heart or commit the crime of simply uh, snatching it from them. And in verses uh, 15 through 21, we saw 20, we saw the role of witnesses. And we also saw that if the witness is a false witness, then they will be subject uh, to the same crime. And finally, in verse 21, we saw the law of retribution, uh, which has been replaced by uh, forgiveness instead of retaliation.